Welcome to the Concordia Publishing House podcast, where we consider everything in the light of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm your host, Elizabeth Pittman. Social justice. We've been hearing that term on the news and on social media with increasing frequency. But what is it? How can we recognize it? And most importantly, how can we avoid turning it into a false Christ? That's our topic for today's episode. I'm glad to welcome the Reverend Dr. Matt Richard back to the show to tackle this topic. Hi, Matt. Hey there, Elizabeth. Good to see you. You too. How are you doing? Good, good. Good. Well, I think it's pretty easy when you look around the internet and media that the phrase social justice or social justice warrior is popping up a lot. I did a quick Twitter search and it's just boom, 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 boom with with mentions of it. What is a social justice ideology all about? Yeah. <laughs> uh, boy, that's, that's a simple question, but it's uh, a little bit more. But it's complex. loaded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, what we want to understand is that uh, we want to be very careful. Anytime we talk about anything, what, whatever subject it is, we want to be fair. And, and we want to also be generous in how we define and critique something. Um, too oftentimes, we, we can run into this demonization where we demonize a position real quickly. And it, and it makes it easy, you know, if we demonize something, then we don't have to think about it. We don't have to take it with uh, respect. And then we can look at somebody maybe doing something uh, contrary to us, and then we can just write them off and it excuses any possibility of conversation. So I think, I think a real generous approach to this is perhaps maybe to kind of define the steps uh, of social justice, how it happens. So I, I don't know if we can maybe summarize it, maybe perhaps with a nice little definition, maybe we could unpack what it is in the very end. Maybe we can try to define it at the very end, you and I together as we unpack it. Would that work? Let's let's do it. Okay. So um, I would say very simply stated, and one of the things, again, we don't want to uh, oversimplify, but I think we have to simplify uh, things and talking about it, especially for the listeners uh, listening to us. And I would say that when it comes time for doing social justice warrior uh, actions, we have to understand there's different steps that are needed. Okay, so different steps. So let's think of it this way in steps. The first thing, what would happen is a person, if they're going to enact and do social justice work, is they would ha- they would have to identify an inequality. Okay, so you would have to find maybe if you think of scales where the scales are not balanced, maybe where uh, there's an inequality where things are not equal. So you're going to think of somebody maybe in a higher position and another pers- person in a lower position. So a person who is uh, perhaps... Um, you know, privileged, you can hear that word a lot, and somebody who is uh, unprivileged. And so we can uh, look at that in any parts of culture, uh, thinking of uh, maybe the rich and the poor, or male and female, or maybe a citizen and an immigrant. Uh, you can just go on and on and on with hundreds of examples of maybe somebody who is, again, uh, in inequality. You have a person up top and a person down below. Okay, so, so, so step one is you've defined and identified inequality, okay? Uh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so then step two, uh, be very simply this, is then once you define an inequality, uh, what you would do is then the person that is going to be advantaged, uh, you would create two categories. The advantaged person, we would call them the oppressor uh, or the exploiter, uh, the privileged or the persecutor. And so we would 
then define moral qualities to those two categories. And then the person who is perhaps maybe underneath their thumb, we would identify them as the oppressed, the exploited, the disadvantaged, or the victim. Okay, so we find inequality and we can find that everywhere we look. And then we define the person up top, um, again, as the oppressor, the exploiter, the privileged, the persecutor, and the person underneath their thumb, going to be the oppressed, the exploited, the disadvantaged, and the victim. Okay, so then we've defined a moral quality to those two. Okay. That's absolutely. And that's doesn't take much to look around our news headlines to see example after example after example of this. Yep, absolutely. So what's number three? So number three is then again, I kind of alluded to that, we would assign value, okay? And so the person who is on top, uh, now just using this idea of on top, the oppressor, the exploiter, the privileged, the persecutor, we would consider them as morally bad, okay? They would be morally bad. And then the person who is what? Being exploited, the disadvantaged, the victim, they would be morally good. So we would then ascribe, like I said, we would ascribe a moral value to those two, okay? I find it interesting that, uh, and you may be getting to this, but if I were to make this assessment of somebody, I'm passing moral judgments just willy-nilly based on my view of what I'm seeing, correct? Yes, yep, okay. yep, yep. So so again, again, we, we, we put those moral judgments and then, now, now here's here's step number four. Uh, step number four is this: is for a person who's going to enact social justice, they're not content. Uh, they're not content with leaving uh, that inequality. So then, the job of them is to overthrow uh, the person up top, to overthrow the oppressor, the exploiter, the privileged, the persecutor. And, and the idea then is to come to the assistance, the aid to rescue uh, the person who is then um, being oppressed. And so to be a social justice warrior, you're coming into the context to, uh, again, uh, to overthrow uh, and to liberate uh, the person who is underneath their thumb. So that's step number four. Okay. It sounds like the social justice warrior is taking on the self-appointed role of judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah, in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, and so that's that's where we kind of get to, um, you know, this step five, which is the goal is to create equality. And so the goal is to create equality. And typically what happens, it's to bring uh, the oppressor, the exploiter down and to bring the oppressed and the exploited and the victim up to create a realm of equality. Now, here's the thing, okay? And, and you allude to this a little bit here. Here's the thing. When it comes to this, when it comes to creating equality, um, oftentimes we do see this and it is indeed valid. We think of in the Bible, okay? We think of the Bible, we think of uh, perhaps maybe Moses and Pharaoh, you know, Moses coming uh, to want to liberate uh, the uh, Hebrews from their bondage and slavery in Egypt. Uh, we think about uh, Xerxes and Esther. Uh, we think about the Babylonians uh, overtaking the kingdom of Judah. Uh, we even think of the first century Rome, the Roman Empire, uh, wanting to uh, having control over Israel. And they were wanting Jesus to be what? A social justice warrior to liberate them from the powers of Rome. Now, so we would have to, in many circumstances, we'd want to affirm 
indeed affirm that there are times uh, indeed where there is an oppressor over the oppressed, or there is a persecutor over the victim. Uh, and then we can see that idea of wanting to rescue them. So it's very attractive to want to be involved in that liberation process, okay? And, but, then, but then that brings up your point, then that, that's assuming that the person that's on the top, the oppressor is actually morally what? Uh, corrupt, you know? So we'd have, we'd have to assume that, we'd have to go through that first to assume that. And then the second thing is, do we have the moral right or the vocational right to actually liberate? You know, and how do you liberate? And how is the process of that liberation uh, to occur? Um, and then where this gets really, really messy is this, is when we make Jesus, uh, the whole point of what you brought at the very beginning is when we make Jesus a social liberator. Was Jesus a liberator in that first century to liberate the people from that oppressive regime of the Romans, uh, Pontius Pilate and the Caesar at the time? I mean, that's, that's the great question. It's a loaded question. And I think we run into danger when we presume that Jesus came to liberate one small segment of people. And we, when we get away from the big picture of why he is the Christ. Yeah. I mean, I mean, here's the thing to think about. I mean, you know, did Jesus liberate the people from Rome? I mean, they certainly wanted him to. I and mean, this comes back to our previous conversation on Jesus, uh -huh. the uh, patriot, the patriot uh, uh, confusing the two kingdoms, the left and right hand kingdom. They, they certainly wanted Jesus to come in and to kick Pilate out of Israel to establish that uh, that the Israel, that, that that kingdom, right? And so they saw the Romans as being the persecutor and the Israelites as being the victims. Uh, so there's definitely an, an aspiration to have a Messiah to be a social justice warrior, without a doubt. Uh, we also see that Jesus uh, coming against the religious leaders. We could divide it between the Pharisees and the Sadducees as being the oppressors. And to a certain extent, they were spiritually oppressing the people. Um, but what we have to realize in all of this is that when it comes down to applying morality, uh, applying morality to Christianity, uh, that there's no such thing as categories of the uh, victim and persecutor. Uh, in fact, it could be argued that we are all, because of our sinful nature, persecutors to a certain degree. And it could also be argued that we're all victims, uh, victims of sin, death, and the devil as well. And so when it comes to us in Christianity, when we understand uh, that there really is not two groups uh, in Christianity. There, there, there's one group, and we stand shoulder to shoulder as sinners in need of God's grace. And so when I see another sinner um, struggling, for me, it's, it's, it's going to that sinner, uh, standing shoulder to shoulder, and then, again, there's times and places where you would want to aspire to correct injustices in our society through our proper vocations and considering it whether it is, is or is not an injustice. Uh, but in doing so, we always have to remind ourselves that we're not in a separate group. We're all sinners and need a redemption of one who liberates us from sin, death, and the devil, which is Christ. Let's just put a finer point on that. You, you brought it, you, you started down the path of the mission of Jesus Christ. And his mission was not simply to topple political leaders or religious systems, but his, his mission was more wide ranging and bigger. Can you just break that down just a little bit more so it's real clear? Well, yeah, and, and I think that all comes down to, again, like what we talked about last time, uh, when they were going to Jerusalem, uh, we can remember the disciples, you know, to loosely paraphrase, they were like, Jesus, you know, when you come in to establish your earthly kingdom, you know, thinking we're going to overthrow the Romans, 
when you're going to liberate us, uh, we want to be in the position of power next to you. And uh, Jesus is not going to liberate from the Romans, but he descends uh, to death on the cross. And so I, I think we have to understand that if we place Jesus into a category of being simply a social justice warrior liberating us, um, liberating us from what? And typically what we want to be liberated from in this veil of tears, this life in the veil of tears, is usually smaller than what Christ actually did. Um, how would I say this? What Christ did is bigger than merely toppling a small earthly kingdom. Uh, what Christ did is of eternal consequence. It is bigger than what we can even imagine. So oftentimes we we fight to be liberated from uh, social injustices. We fight to be liberated from inequalities that definitely exist in this life. And so we don't deny that, that, that they do exist. Uh, but Christ did not come to merely topple a small, now I'm not trying to minimize the pain of individuals, but in the grand scheme of an eternally speaking, he did not come to topple our small injustices. He came to topple the great injustice, injustice of our sin and death and devil. Um, ultimately, being that 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 uh, persecutor, being the devil, devil himself, death itself, who takes a bite out of us, out of us. He came to topple something some so much bigger, not just a mere earthly kingdom, but to topple the kingdom of darkness to give us everlasting life. And that's huge. And it definitely, when you think about the magnitude of that, it puts everything else into a perspective where you don't want to say it's small potatoes, but like you said, in the grand scheme, it definitely. Uh, pales in comparison. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and and so if we think about it, you know, is it Christ liberating us from persons and things and systems, or is Christ liberating us from sin, death, and the devil? Um, I, 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 you know, again, we don't want to minimize uh, oppressive persons, things, and systems in this life. They do exist, uh, but Christianity is is much broader and bigger. Uh, expanding uh, the, the the generation after generation, which is the great problem that, that is usually typically at the root of all these problems of persons, things, and systems, which is typically sin, death, and the devil uh, underneath that. So so Christianity digs deeper. It goes, it goes wider, bigger, more eternal. And so we limit Christ when we make him just a mere social justice warrior of persons, things, and systems, rather than the one who liberates us from sin, death, and the devil. There, that, that sounds, that sounds that, better. We that articulate was, that, that was a little great, bit better because there. at the end of the day, I would much rather be liberated from sin, death, and the devil than pesky, problematic things that that may or may not actively oppress me on a daily basis. That's a bigger. That's definitely a bigger victory. So there is a time and a place for us here on Earth to challenge oppressive systems. How do we recognize where we should insert ourselves and how we should conduct ourselves in? places where we're called to help fight an injustice say there's a legitimate injustice and we're, we're trying to help well something to think about is the the way um in our in our society the 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 underpinnings of the ideological underpinnings of the social justice framework is really a call to deeds um and the way the way now we, we can get back into the philosophy of this and the history of this but the philosophical underpinnings of the social justice movement is not a call to philosophy. It's a call to taking that philosophy and making it into actions, into deeds, uh, to, to, to activism. And we see that uh, quite often in our modern day and age. And I would simply say that there is a time and a place 
uh, for us as Christians um, to do that and to to uh, uh, affirm uh, brothers and sisters who are in struggles with oppressive systems and persons and so forth. However, I would say that that would have to happen underneath their proper vocations. Um, and those proper vocations, now what would that mean? Uh, proper vocations and also following the laws of the land. And so we as the we as Christians, we certainly uh, don't function outside of our vocations as citizens, um, uh, pastors, uh, teachers, and so forth. And we also don't break laws because uh, that would be violating that fourth commandment as well. But I would say perhaps something that we have as a Christian, as Christians, that is actually quite profound is that the Christian uh, faith is primarily uh, not deeds, but creeds. It's a confession. Uh, so we think about Christianity, uh, you know, there's, there is a place for deeds. You know, we hear that in the book of James, uh, the epistle of James. Uh, but primarily, uh, Christianity is, is motivated and fueled and proclaimed through the proclamation, the message of the gospel, uh, which is creeds, uh, the proclamation of what has already been done. And so as Christians, uh, we can say to everyone around us, uh, regardless of uh, ethnicity, regardless of sex, regardless of background and so forth, we get to confess Christ who overthrew uh, sin and death and the devil, um, that what Christ has done for all of us in the midst of all of these things. And then through our vocations and through um, our interactions, uh, then we can indeed uh, support those and love those uh, without breaking uh, the fourth commandment and also, again, walking our, fourth, uh, walking our vocations uh, to serve the best of our abilities. And then we absolutely need to do that because there is no lack of work to be done for our neighbor in this world. And I think if we do do it properly and confess Christ while we're at it, um, we can make even a small difference in our respective corners of the world. So as we consider the social justice warrior, false Christ, and the prevalence of social justice ideology out in the world today, how can we take what you have just shared with us and what we've learned and challenge the worldview of that false Christ in a way that is um, not divisive or aggressive. I liked how you referenced it at the beginning of our conversation where it's really easy for people to make judgments and it's almost lazy to just kind of shut down what well, we've decided. We don't agree with you and we're going to shut down or argue, but how can we take what we've learned and have a constructive conversation to hopefully show people that there is a bigger source of hope in the world that we, we know and we hope that they come to know. Well, yeah, again, and, and we want to understand, uh, and I think it's very, very uh, important to understand, like what we talked about, biblically speaking, we do see, you know, like looking back to Pharaoh and, uh, uh, you know, Pharaoh and uh, Moses, we think of Xerxes and Esther, we think of the Romans and, uh, you know, the Israelites, there are definitely uh, situations and cases where this does exist, uh, but we have to understand that we cannot exclusively make Christianity a liberation of, of making Jesus into a liberator of earthly kingdoms. Uh, it is bigger than that. And so, so it, it's, it's not an either or. It's, it's simply we can affirm uh, when we do see injustices, we can affirm and agree to that. And then we would say, now we reserve the right to tell you more uh, because there's more good news for you uh, and that good news is that Christ indeed has overthrown sin, death, and the devil, uh, not only for me, but for you too. And 
the, the reality, and this is the difficult thing for us to consider, and we have to understand this too, biblically speaking as well, uh, that the Israelites were underneath uh, that Roman rule. In fact, we hear uh, sometime even after Jesus' crucifix crucifixion and resurrection, we think, uh, I think it was around that 70 AD mark, Titus of Rome came in and he destroyed everything. And, and so uh, there are times where oppressive systems and persons and things uh, are not toppled and uh, things don't get better in this life. Uh, in, fr- in fact, they can get worse. And when that doesn't happen, when inequality doesn't happen, inequality may perhaps even get worse, then what hope is there? And the hope is Christ. The hope of Christ is for us regardless of the systems and persons and things that may oppress us, that we have one who is our rescuer, one who is our salvation, Christ, who has defeated sin, death, and the devil. And so that is the important thing to understand is, is that even if things do not get brought to equality or fixed or remedied in this life under the sun, in fact, generally speaking, it won't. Uh, typically what happens in this life history has shown us is that this world that we live in is unjust. This world that we live in is not fair. Uh, it's full of sin and death and pain and uh, uh, struggles of life that happen over and over and over. And just when just when we get things fixed, uh, then they come unraveled. I think of that uh, Incredibles uh cartoon, uh, the very opening of the, the Incredibles uh, cartoon uh, that I watched with my kids, uh, Mr. Incredible goes, you know, just when I fix things, they go and they mess it all up again. And that's life, you know? And again, that's not to to say that we don't strive for fixing unjust things, but the reality is this life is messy. It hurts. Uh, it's, it's painful. It's the reason why we call it this veil of tears. And in the midst of this veil of tears, we have that gospel of Christ who makes all things new at the very end of the age, and that Christ has already defeated the evil foe, that Christ has already atoned for our sins, and that Christ will be for us in the very end. And so, again, we can affirm those things to our brothers and sisters, uh, other individuals uh, going through different things, uh, but also understanding that if they don't get fixed, uh, we have something bigger than that, a narrative, a story, um, the, the gospel truth, the creed that confesses Uh, that crisis for us in this life and even a death into eternal life. What a wonderful hope and assurance that is to know that we have that to look forward to even when the world around us seems to be unraveling. And I love the Incredibles reference. We've watched that many, many times in our house. So it's (laughs) it's great to have that illustration, but it's, it's true. And it's, it's easy in, I think in every age or generation to look around and go, wow, things really are unraveling, but wow, we have the solid rock to hang on to. And so that's, that's a, that's an amazing hope that we can share with the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of, of, um, here at St. Paul's, we have a big anchor out front of our church and, and we've used that as our kind of theme as a church that we're anchored in Christ. And, uh, the over and over I've said to, to my church family here, that uh, we can perceive and understand we are oftentimes a boat on the waves of life and storms hit us, uh, the waves toss us, the wind blows against us. We can even lose our compass over the side rail into the water and we can say, oh my goodness, what, what hope is there for me? But we always have to remember that we are anchored in Christ and Christ is our anchor. And in fact, when we go into St. Paul's Lutheran Church here, I love it, our 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 tall, tall um, 
ceiling is if shaped as the bottom of a boat. And I love our baptismal liturgy that talks to us about being kept safely in the ark of the church. And that is the hope that we have. And that ark of the church, Christ church, is for everyone. It is for absolutely everyone that Christ bled and died for everyone. And there's no sin that is out of the reach of Christ. We uh, there, There's more grace in Jesus than there is sin in us. And so that is the hope that we have, the creed that we have to confess is that there is Christ for us in the inequalities and the struggles and the pains and the, and the, the, the North Dakota oof does, as we say, oof does of life. Uh, there's hope in Christ and he's our anchor in the midst of this crazy world that we live in. And he is a much more sure anchor than any false Christ will ever be. Thank you for taking the time today to help unpack social justice warrior for us. Um, if, if listeners would like to learn more about social justice warrior false Christ or the 11 other false Christ that Matt has identified, visit cph.org backslash real Jesus. And you'll be taken to Matt's book where you can dig into this. It's a great read. Um, there's some really good content in there and makes for some really good discussion. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Elizabeth. It was great. Catch you next time, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Concordia Publishing House podcast. I pray that this time was valuable to your walk with Christ. We'd love to connect with listeners on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Concordia Pub. Visit cph.org for more resources to grow deeper in the gospel.